This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome. It's a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 16th day of February 2023. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Got uh, a little hodgepodge of things to talk about this morning. I actually... uh, 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 watched, I mean, I, I how starved am I for, for sports? I'm, I watched qualifying for the NASCAR for Daytona 500 last night. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I, I probably watched it for 45 minutes or an hour. So I, I, uh, I'm really starved for for stuff. I, you know, look, uh, I, I can't wait until we have. Uh, we're gonna have spring training games, starting in about a week or so uh, for baseball. I can't wait. So we've got and we've got some baseball news to talk about. Uh, some college basketball, some pro basketball, a little bit of everything. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I was sad to find out yesterday um, that uh, a piece of uh, a piece of my childhood died. <laughs> um, if you are of a certain age, uh, the old age that I am, uh, you remember very well being a young boy <laughs> and uh, seeing Raquel Welch. Uh, on the big screen or on television and go you know what you know how young boys are and you see that and it's like oh my god and she was one of those that people had posters of on their wall you know young boys uh, uh, she and uh Farrah Fawcett were probably uh, uh probably the two that uh, I had the biggest crush on when I was a kid uh but Raquel Welch died yesterday uh at the age of 82 um, after a brief illness, uh, a woman that uh, kind of got uh, her start or burst onto the scene with that uh, stupid movie. It's really bad. One Million Years B.C. Now, I remember seeing that, I don't know, when I was in my teens. It was, you know, on television. And, uh, oh, my God. And, you know, back then you were just, you didn't really care. You know, Raquel Welch was on it, and you just were looking at her. And she only had three lines in the whole movie. But, Try watching it now, and it's so bad you can't. It's just brutal. Um, but she was, you know, and she was in uh, uh, the Fantastic Voyage. Remember that movie um, uh, where they uh, miniaturized people and they shot them into the uh, somebody's uh, body and going to, to try to repair something in their body. And uh, she was, I think that was might have been her first movie. And right after that, it was Million Years BC. Um, but she was actually a pretty good actress. She could sing. She could dance. Uh, she uh, she won a Golden Globe for her uh, appearance in The Three Musketeers. I remember that one. Um, which I think she played a seamstress or something like that. Uh, she was nominated for another Golden Globe for a, a serious movie called Right to Die. She was on, you know, she made tons of television appearances, including on Seinfeld. Um, 
so just somebody that uh, was just been a part, you know, and, and it's not like I've thought about Raquel Welch for years, you know, let's, let's be serious, but you know, and, and she's not somebody that's, you know, been in the, uh, uh, the spotlight for a while, you know, she, as she got older, she just, and you know, she, I saw some interviews with her, which was kind of cool. And she says, you know, people looked at me at this sex symbol, but what I really was, was a single mom with two young children. Um, she was married four times. Uh, in her life, and uh, she's survived by uh, a, a son uh, and a daughter. Her daughter, Tani, as a matter of fact, also became an actress. Remember the movie Cocoon, uh, which came out, I think, in the mid-'80s? Her daughter was in that movie. Um, but anyway, so Raquel Welch passed away at the age of 82 yesterday. And uh, another old geezer, <laughs> uh, This and I don't watch this show. I saw a clip of it this morning, and it is just so cool. Uh, the Mass Singer. I think it, it is one of the dumbest things on television. And I like, my wife and I love singing competitions. We love to watch uh, American Idol and we watch The Voice. Um, but The Mass Singer is just stupidity. You know, and what's funny is, is you, you watch The Mass Singer and people are getting eliminated that are like world class singers. You know, it's just dumb. Uh, but anyway, last night, uh, one of the two that was eliminated was the oldest contestant they've ever had on the show. Dick Van Dyke, at the age of 97, had on one of these costumes. And and believe me, these things cannot be light. The head alone. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was working in colleges, when, you know, you would we had mascots. And I remember putting on that mascot costume one time. And those things are hot and they are heavy. 97 years old, Dick Van Dyke was out there last night uh, singing and dancing. He's singing When You're Smiling and... Uh, 97 years old, as spry as can be. Uh, he ended up getting eliminated, and uh, which is funny. And you know, everybody kind of knew it was somebody. They could, they really weren't sure who. And uh, saw the reactions when the judges, when uh, he was unmasked, and a couple of them were very emotional, basically saying, "Hey, you know, uh, you're my childhood." You know, I mean, he was in so many of those. Uh, Disney movies and stuff, you know, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Mary Poppins, of course. And he was in the remake of Mary Poppins that they did several years ago. And uh, just he's a, an American treasure. Um, a guy that, by the way, I saw an interview he did with the Today Show. He gave the eulogy at the funerals for both Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. That's how old Dick Van Dyke is. So that's uh, kind of cool. The other person you get eliminated last night, not again, not that I watched it, Sarah Evans. And this is what I'm saying. This is a, a legit country music star, and uh, she even she couldn't hang. So uh, kind of silly. But Dick Van Dyke, you know, anytime you get to see Dick Van Dyke, and he was trending on Twitter this morning at 97 years old. Good for him. Uh, one other uh, note uh, for another old geezer before we get to uh, the sports action from last night. Another old geezer. He's two years younger than I am. Michael Jordan celebrated his 60th birthday on Friday, and he celebrated his 60th birthday by making a $10 million donation to Make-A-Wish. Um, it's the largest single donation ever given uh, to that organization, which has been around for 40-plus years. Uh, and Michael Jordan has been doing stuff for Make-A-Wish for most of his adult life, uh, for the last 34 years, they said, and he... Uh, has done, has granted more wishes to kids all over the world uh, than anybody in the history of the program, and he is still one of the most requested celebrities. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, and uh, good for him. 
You know, one thing about Michael Jordan, and you can say what you want, whether you like him, whether you hate him, whether you think he's the greatest of all time uh, in basketball, whatever. Um, This is a guy that has made a lot of money in his life, but this is a guy that has donated a ton of money in his life. Look, he, he, he he can be cocky, he can be arrogant, and that's part of what made him great. And, uh, you know, and there are a lot of people that don't like Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan's heart is in the right place. He never forgot where he came from and uh, uh, $10 million donation. Very cool. One other aside, have you seen, did you see the clip for the movie that they're doing based on the Nike recruitment of Michael Jordan to start the Air Jordan brand for Nike and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in it? which is really cool. The clips look really neat. And, you know, I mean, the story has been well documented, but the clips look really good. And I'll tell you what, uh, Viola Davis is in it. Uh, I think uh, I think I'm going to watch it. I think I'm going to go see that. Uh, just because of Affleck and Damon, I'm big fans of them, theirs. And uh, But uh, uh, looks like it's actually going to be kind of a fun movie to watch. And But, hey, good for Michael Jordan, good for Mike Make-A-Wish. Uh, one, oh, another old geezer. This one's a banged-up old geezer. Tiger Woods is returning to the golf course today. Uh, It'll be his first uh, tournament since last summer when uh, uh, his last couple of uh, tournaments didn't go so well. Uh, He had to withdraw um, from the U.S. Open, and I believe – or he missed a cut the U.S. Open, and I think he had to withdraw from – uh, the British Open last year w- was at St. Andrews, and uh, just the leg has been giving him so much trouble. But he is uh, coming back. Uh, this is a guy that has had more surgeries <laughs> than major championships. Think about that. He's won 15 majors, and he's had so many surgeries on the back. And now, of course, uh, after that car accident and all the work he's had to have done on his leg. And then with everything else, he's developed plantar fasciitis in his feet. and you know, So he's just been struggling. Uh, but he is coming back to play in the Genesis Open. He is the or Genesis Invitational. He is actually the tournament host. Uh, it's held in Los Angeles. It was actually after the Genesis Open when he had that car accident. Um, so, uh, and look, he's 47. He's, you know, not what he used to be, but the golf swing is still there. The iron play is really still there. The question is, is can he walk? 18 holes of golf for four days in a row and still perform at a high level. You know, and it's so funny. You, you listen to guys um, talk about the rigors of the PGA Tour and can you can you play 18 holes of golf? Can you walk 18 holes of golf? And look, walking 18 holes of golf is the equivalent of walking about five miles, maybe between five and six miles. You know, I mean, that's it's quite a bit. Um, you know, you and I aren't out walking. Well, some of us are, I guess, out walking five miles a day. Um, but, you know, you have to remember that it's not flat ground. It's up and down hills, yada, yada, yada. Now, he's not carrying his own clubs. Look, I played a lot of golf in my life. I stink at it, but I played a lot of golf in my life. And in the old days, <laughs> okay, I hate saying that, but in the old days, there, you know, you weren't taking a cart. In the old days, you know, when I started playing golf, you walked and you hefted your bag. You carried your own bag, right? Now, 
you, you can't now most courses won't let you walk the course. Most courses require you to take a cart. Why? Because they can move you through a lot faster. They can get more people on the golf course if you're taking a cart because you're getting through a round of golf a lot faster than if you walk. So on the face of it, you say, come on, you know, you're, you're a pro athlete. What do you mean you can't walk five miles? You know, I, and he's not even carrying his own clubs, you know. But be that as it may, with in Tiger Woods's case, most guys don't have a problem with it. But in Tiger, if Tiger Woods's case or any golfer that's got a bad back or a leg issue, you can't walk, you know, a mile, let alone five. You know, my right knee's been bothering me, and I've been having trouble walking up and down the hill to to take care of my chickens in my garden every day, right? So, uh, you know, so can he do it? He thinks he can. And he said, look, uh, I'm here to get a W. He said, you know, so I don't understand that making a cut is a great thing because that's what a lot of people think. They think if he makes the cut, he's going to do great. He said, if I enter an event, it's always to get a W. He said, there'll come a point in time when my body will not allow me to do that anymore, and it's probably sooner rather than later. He said, but wrapping my head around that transition, uh, he said, you know, it's just not in my DNA. So he believes he can win. And it, look, again, he's another one of those people, whether you love him, whether you hate him, there's a lot of people that can't stand Tiger Woods because of the whole cheating thing with his wife. Uh, because of the accident, because, you know, they think that he, you know, that he was uh, uh, high on pills or drugs or alcohol or whatever, you know, and, and it, you know, it, it, one car accident he had, it was probably because he was, you know, doped up. It's because he had had surgery and he was taking too many pain pills. But whether you like him or whether you hate him, this is a guy that is just like Michael Jordan. He is the GOAT. You know, he is probably the greatest golfer of all time you know i'm more of a jack nicholas guy myself but uh you cannot argue you know jack's got the most majors but tiger is tied for the most overall wins with sam snee with 82 in his career i mean it's hard to argue with that um but he thinks he can win he tees off today at 305 this is a course by the way he has never won on matter of fact he stopped playing this course for a while i think he played there 11 times and he has never won. That is the most of any golf course he has ever played in his career. A place that he has not won. 11 times. The closest he came was he tied for second behind Ernie Els one time. That's it. So uh, I think that uh, expecting him to win, uh, not only because of the health, but because of his, his history with the golf course, probably not going to happen. But the golf world is thrilled. And the networks are thrilled because it is going to send their golf ratings through the roof. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Tiger Woods moves the needle. In a way, I think that no other athlete moves the needle. Uh, we can talk about LeBron James being the all-time leading scorer in, in NBA basketball. Right? Uh, we can talk about how that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, we can talk about, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky or Alex Ovechkin or, or Mario Lemieux or Sidney Crosby or whoever you want in hockey. 
Nobody has ever moved the needle for television ratings more or for interest in a sport more than Tiger Woods, period. Tiger Woods brought people to the game of golf that had never played golf before. The fact, not just the fact that that he was great, but the fact that, uh, you know, he uh, had a black father. And, you know, he, he was, you know, a black dad and, and a, uh, a mom uh, from uh, Southeast Asia. So, you know, he brought people of, a, of different colors to golf that had never played before. And not only did he did do that, he won all the time. And he was chasing down Jack Nicklaus and, and guys that were the giants of golf. Nobody has ever done that in a way that Tiger Woods has. And he will do it today at the age of 47. And he will do it tomorrow. Now, whether he makes the cut for the weekend or not, who's, who knows? CBS is praying to God that he does because it will give them uh, higher ratings for their golf tournament this weekend. And nobody else can do that. So I, I hope he I, – look, I hope he does well. I really do. I mean, it's and, – and, 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 you know – I was like I said. I've always been a Jack guy, and in the beginning, I kind of rooted against Tiger, you know. But as as he's gotten older and he's gotten better and better, and and um, you know, and and the adversity he's overcome, and you know, look, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect, and um, and he still continued to play well. And and watching how he's been as a dad with his son and daughter, uh, you know, and. Yes, you root for the old guys. At least I do. I mean, uh, you know, I remember I, I rooted for the old guy when I was young. In 1986, I was 26 years old. Jack Nicholas was 20 years older than I was, and in my mind, he was ancient, right? At, at, you know, at age 46, when he's winning the Masters in 1986, I was thrilled. I mean, I was always a Jack Nicholas fan anyway, but the fact that he was 46 and winning, that's great. I remember when I was young, when, when uh, George Blanda, was playing quarterback for the Oakland Raiders because they didn't have anybody left. He was their kicker. I think he was 47 years old or something like that. And he was, you know, he had all gray hair and, I mean, you know, didn't couldn't move at all anymore. But he was out there playing quarterback because the Oakland Raiders needed him. I rooted for him. You root for the old guys. So, anyway, so we'll see what happens today. Tease up. At, I think the uh, the first two rounds today and tomorrow uh, are on the, on the Golf Channel, 3 o'clock uh, this afternoon. Um, all right, now let's get to some sports from last night. The Celtics bounced back last night. They beat the Detroit Pistons 127-109. It means that the Celtics will go into the All-Star break this weekend with the best record in the NBA. Uh, the Bucks are a game behind them. Milwaukee will play, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Or is it? No, tonight. And even if they win, they'll still be a half a game behind the Celtics. So the Celtics will have the best record going into the All-Star break. The Celtics got some of their regular players back last night. As you know, the Bucks game the other night, they played uh, Larry Moe and Curley. They played their entire bench. They had not one of their normal starters in the game. Well, last night, Jason Tatum was back. Al Horford was back. Marcus Smart was back. He had missed 13 games in a row, so Marcus Smart was back. So now, all of a sudden, they had three starters back. And uh, Jason Tatum does what Jason Tatum does. 38 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Um, leads the way for the Celtics as they beat a, a, look, a very bad Detroit team. Let's not get too carried away with how great a win this was. But Al Horford was good last night, 11 points, 7 rebounds. Um, 
Uh, Marcus Smart only played, well, only. He played 29 minutes, 9 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 6 steals. I mean, it was great. I mean, that's the guy that had, is the guy that makes this defense go and the guy that makes the offense run. Derek White did a great job in his absence. And White still got the start last night. He started at the two guard, had 11 points and six assists last night. Um, Malcolm Brogdon with 25 points off the bench. Uh, so, anyway, easy win for the Celtics, 127 to 109 uh, over the Pistons last night. All star break this weekend, and the Celtics won't play now for a week. It'll only be Jason Tatum that'll play um, All Star weekend. I am assuming, I have not heard officially, but I am assuming. Uh, that Jalen Brown will not play. He's been selected as an alternate for the All-Star game, uh, but considering he's got that fractured uh, bone in his face um, and he's been fitted for a mask, but he hasn't even come back to Boston yet, so there's no way he is going to play uh, in that All-Star game this weekend. I would be absolutely shocked. Uh, the Lakers won last night. They got uh, their first win uh, since uh, LeBron James set the all-time scoring record, they beat the Pelicans last night, 120-102. Look, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, uh, 28 points, 10 rebounds last night. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is back. He played well, 21 points, 7 assists. But, look, the Lakers are in 13th place out of the 15 teams in the Western Conference. They've got some work to do. Uh, it doesn't mean that they can't, but uh, I think the chances of the Lakers making the playoffs, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's slim, but they've got their work cut out for them. I mean, they're they they've got teams that are only a game or two ahead of them, but they're two and four in their last six. They've got to hope that D'Angelo Russell's return will really get this team jump started. But they are in big big trouble of not making the playoffs uh, once again. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers won last night. Uh, they keep pace with the Celtics. They stay three games behind. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers last night, one eighteen to one twelve, and. Uh, uh, the Nets last night, how about that? The Nets, like, trade everybody, uh, still playing fairly well. Uh, they beat the Miami Heat last night, 116-105. to So Brooklyn uh, stays 7.5 behind the Celtics. But uh, seriously, since they made this trade, they're playing 500 basketball. I didn't think that was going to be the case. So uh, uh, good for them. Uh, college basketball last night, a number one team loses again. Alabama had just been uh, christened the number one team in the nation in the latest AP poll. They become the eighth number one team this season to lose. Uh, that ties the most in a regular season, start, dating all the way back to 1948-49 when they started the AP poll. This is the most losses by a number one team in the regular season since the 1993-94 season. Uh, Tennessee beat them 68-59. to uh, they also become the last Power 5 team uh, to lose a conference game this season. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's just like if you're, you're number one, you're, it's the kiss of death. Uh, Houston, I would imagine, as long as Houston doesn't lose this weekend, uh, Houston will probably be the number one team in the nation uh, when the poll comes out next week. It is 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call on a Thursday morning. Uh, last college basketball note from uh, yesterday on the women's side, the UConn women, uh, currently number six in the country, escaped with a win over Creighton last night, uh, beat them 62-60. to Caroline Ducharme, uh, who had been out since the uh, uh, concussion 
in a game back in December, the end of December, uh, returned to the lineup last night, and she was the hero. She hit two free throws uh, with 4.8 seconds left to give UConn the win. They they dodged a little bit of a bullet. Uh, Lauren Jensen uh, drove to the hoop for Creighton to try to get the tying bucket at the end of the game and got fouled and went to the free throw line herself with .7 seconds left. So you're thinking this game's probably going overtime because Jensen is a 92% free throw shooter this season. She missed the first one. Then she had to try to miss the second one on purpose, and uh, uh, and then uh, Aaliyah Edwards got the rebound, and uh, UConn ends up winning the game 62-60. to uh, Ducharme had all 10 of her points in the fourth quarter, and that's after UConn uh, got outscored in the third quarter, nineteen to eight. At one point, UConn, who led this game at the half uh, by, I believe it was seven, trailed by eleven points early in the fourth quarter and had to come storming back, storming back to win this thing. Um, and and you know they got Ducharme back, which was great. But you know, and you're thinking for UConn, that's great because they've only had seven healthy players or eight healthy players, and they've only been playing six players. So with Ducharme back, maybe that gives them another player off the bench. No, Gino Auriemma still only played six players last night. Unbelievable. Now, Ducharme was on a minutes limit. She was uh, supposed to only play 20 minutes, 10 minutes each half. She ended up playing 21. But uh, uh, good win for UConn, but they're going to have another test this weekend. Uh, They will play number 14, Villanova. If UConn wins that game this weekend, uh, they will wrap up the Big East regular season title, but uh, uh, they need to get they need AZ Fudd to come back from that knee injury. I mean, and they're hoping that she can be back in time for the Big East tournament and give them some you know another shot in the arm for the NCAA tournament. That's the only t- help this UConn team has. Look, I know they played number one South Carolina very tough, but my goodness, uh, you know Creighton's a pretty good team and Villanova's a pretty good team, but these are teams that UConn should handle. And with all the injuries, they just, you know, they're hanging on for dear life right now. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's get to some baseball news because it's now baseball season. And this is some off-the-field uh, news. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but you remember the old Fox Sports Networks, right? You know, they were the regional uh, sports networks around the country. Well, they got bought out, and you've probably seen Bally Sports has now took over all the old Fox Sports properties. Well, the Diamond Sports Group, which uh, which owns Bally Sports, are about to default on $140 million in interest payments. And if they do that, they are likely going to file for bankruptcy. If that happens, it means that Regional sports coverage for a whole bunch of Major League Baseball teams is in trouble. I mean, this is, I mean, look, Bally Sports, you know, uh, are, is the network that carries like the San Diego Padres and the Rockies and the Astros and the Pirates. I think there's 11 or 12 teams that are carried on Bally Sports properties. Now, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, has said if they default and if they file bankruptcy, it gives each one of these teams the ability to cancel the contract, to terminate the contract 
um, because it, it would be a breach of contract on Bally Sports's uh, part. And MLB said if that does happen, that the league will step in and produce the games through their MLB TV network uh, and then try to make deals with local cable and satellite distributors to air them. Um, which is all well and good. But here's the problem with this. You know, we've talked about how Major League Baseball teams get a chunk of money at the start of every year uh, from the national TV broadcast revenue. Right, they get a you know they get a big chunk, and I I don't remember what it is, but it's forty fifty million dollars something like that. And then each of the teams gets money from the broadcast rights from their local affiliate. In this case, it would be Bally Sports, you know, and maybe that's another ten, fifteen, twenty million dollars. Well, now all of a sudden, if Bally files files bankruptcy and MLB takes over the production of these games, that means that all these major league teams are now going to have a budget shortfall because they are not going to get that local revenue. And Major League Baseball said, well, you know, in the short term, they, you know, they are not equipped to cover that shortfall for these teams. So what does that do? It gives teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Rockies, and any of these other small market teams that are covered by Bally, the reason to say, well, see, you know, look, we've lost a revenue stream, so that's why our payroll is going to be $60 million this year. It's, you know, and this hasn't gotten a lot of national coverage, but this is huge. I mean, this is, you know, part of the problem, and, you know, I subscribe to MLB TV, which is the streaming service where you can watch games on your computer or on your phone because, you know, when I travel or if I'm in the car and there's a game going on, I want to be able to have the game on. The problem with it is is that there are so many blackout restrictions that you can't watch. You know, like here where I am, anytime an Atlanta Braves game is on, it's blacked out on MLB TV because they want me to watch it only on the local affiliate on my my cable or my satellite provider. Uh, There are some places where there are three, four, five teams that are blacked out. I think the other team that's blacked out in my area, which is bizarre, is the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati is six hours from where I live, and yet they're blacked out. Not that I want to watch Cincinnati Reds game. They stink. If MLB takes this over, you know, what's going to happen to these blackout restrictions? There's been a lot of call uh, for people, uh, from people, for Major League Baseball to stop the blackout restrictions. I mean, you remember, there used to be that situation in uh, the NFL years ago. You know, if it wasn't sold out within a certain amount of time, the game could be blacked out. Um. And they did away with that. And, and it, that needs to be looked at. In this day and age, if you are asking people to drop $149 or whatever the hell it is for a streaming service to watch your team's games, and yet they're going to be blacked out 
when, you know, like for instance, when the Red Sox play the Atlanta Braves down here, the only way that I can watch it is on my satellite, you know? And so what am I supposed to do? You know, or or I can't watch the Red Sox broadcasters and I'm stuck watching the Atlanta Braves broadcasters. You know, so, you know, I don't know how this is all going to shake out, but what I do know in the short run at least, until Bally Sports or some other entity steps up and pays the bills, there's going to be teams that are going to be crying poverty. And it's just going to to make things a lot murkier uh, in terms of the finances in Major League Baseball. So that's something to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, on the field stuff, the injury news is already starting to filter down. Yesterday it came down that Frankie Montas, who was traded from the Oakland Athletics to the New York Yankees last year. And look, Montas was having shoulder problems before the Yankees got him last year but it had been diagnosed as just inflammation. Nobody thought it was that big a deal. Well, guess what? He's having shoulder surgery next week. And they're saying best case, best case is late in the season, like September. That's best case. Chances are he is out for the entire year. Ouch. Steven Strasburg. And Steven Strasburg, who has not pitched uh, in a while, they were uh, they had a press conference yesterday. Mike Rizzo uh, said that it has not gotten better. It was reported yesterday that he suffered a setback after a recent bullpen. He's not even with the Nationals in their camp in Florida yet, and there's not even a timetable for him to show up. Dave Martinez said it is a nerve issue, which – Tells you he had surgery, if you remember, uh, for thoracic outlet syndrome, um, and it's it's one of those surgeries that uh, I, I wouldn't say it's risky, but the recovery from it is not guaranteed. There are more people that whose careers end after that surgery than who are able to continue their career, and unfortunately for Steven Strasburg, it looks like he may be done. And I think that the Nationals have known this for a while. But Steven Strasburg's under contract. So what are you going to do? You have to try, right? You've invested, you know, millions and millions of dollars in somebody. And if they're still under contract, you're going to work with him and try to rehab him and get him better and get him better and get him on the field if you can. But it looks like that is no longer going to be an option for Steven Strasburg. I mean, we haven't heard the official word, but it doesn't look promising. Uh, Other pitcher news, and this, uh, you know, as soon as the word came down yesterday about Jacob DeGrom being shut down by the Texas Rangers, everybody lost their minds and said, I told you so, I told you so. It sounds like this is not that big a deal. It's cool down in Arizona right now. And they said that um, he felt a little bit of tightness in his left side, so they just stopped him. It, it, they said, and look, and Bruce Bochy said, look, if, uh, you know, we got to be careful. Chris Young, their general manager, said, hey, if it was the regular season, then DeGrom would have tried to play through this. But they're doing this out of, quote, unquote, an abundance of caution. How many times have we heard that? And look, um, 
DeGrom is a guy that the last couple of years has struggled with his health and staying on the field. A lot of people think that he was going to be the comeback player of the year and a you know, dark horse for the Cy Young this year. And, you know, uh, but what makes you think moving out of New York to Texas is going to suddenly cure all the problems that he has had with that side and that shoulder uh, in the last couple of years? You know, just moving to Texas doesn't make everything better. Look, I hope he's okay. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big Degrom fan. I mean, he's uh, one of the best pitchers when he's healthy. Uh, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, so, but it, it's not a good start for Jacob Degrom down in Texas. Um, Bud Black signed a one-year extension yesterday uh, to stay with the Colorado Rockies. He was entering the final year of his contract. And being a lame duck, never a good thing. Uh, he is entering his seventh season. Uh, with the Rockies, they have made the postseason twice while he has been the manager there. Uh, matter of fact, it was his first two years. Uh, but they finished fourth in the NL West the next three years and uh, last place last season. Uh, look, uh, it's not Bud Black's fault. You know, they the Rockies don't want to spend money. When somebody gets too expensive, they ship them out. You're trying to ask pitchers to pitch in that rarefied air, yada, yada, yada. It's not his fault. Uh, he is 417 and 453 in his career, which, quite frankly, you know, managing there, that's probably that's probably about the best you can expect. Uh, but he does sign an extension for another year. Uh, and it was reported yesterday that Mike Clevenger is in camp with the White Sox. How fun must that be? A guy that has been accused of domestic violence. Uh, there is an investigation going on, but he is in camp because, well, they can't stop him from being in camp. He hasn't been suspended by the league under their, uh, uh, you know, where, where in many places they put a guy in uh, on administrative leave. They have not done that with Clevenger the way they did with Trevor Bauer. Now, granted, what Trevor Bauer was accused of, and that involved, you know, a lot more serious charges than the whole Clevenger thing, it still, it doesn't look good while he's there. But the White Sox can't stop him from being in camp. That's a very powerful union uh, they have in Major League Baseball. Uh, and then supposedly he addressed the team and apologized uh, for being a distraction. I can't imagine uh, his teammates want to have a whole hell of a lot to do with him uh, right now until this whole thing is cleared up. 46 minutes past the hour, and we come back. we got some Red Sox news. Can't wait to uh, to see them uh, on the field. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. A few minutes left this morning. Um, the big news in Boston, it's not really news, uh, Chris Sale threw a bullpen yesterday. Hallelujah. Uh, but he sat down after his bullpen and kind of held court with the media and talked about being ready for the season. And one of the things, and I was, you know, Chris Sale was a guy when he first came over. I I had to admit I wasn't real thrilled about the signing. You know, one of you know he was he pitched in Chicago, and you know you didn't see things on a regular basis, but you just heard about some of the things that he did. Like for instance, the time that he went into the uh, the clubhouse and cut up all the uh, uh, throwback uniforms because he didn't like them and he didn't want to wear them, and uh, which was kind of an ass move to me. But uh, be that as it may, he has grown on me. One of the things I admire about Chris Sale or any athlete. I admire any athlete that will step up to the plate, so to speak, and call a spade a spade and and say 
the truth. For instance, you know, before we get to Chris Hale, I and and again, this is a guy that has become uh, so controversial and really has tarnished, uh, in my mind, his legacy. Kurt Schilling, one of the things I always admired about Kurt Schilling was Kurt Schilling was never afraid to step up and say the truth and say I stunk or whatever. I remember him saying, hey, you know, we get paid a lot of money as athletes and fans should expect, you know, top performance out of us because, you know, if and if we don't give our best, shame on us. I always admired that about him. Well, Chris Sale stepped up yesterday and said, look, uh, I understand, you know, the kind of money that I signed for. You know, I understand that given the contract to do a job, I haven't done that job. I'm not trying to prove a contract. I'm trying to live up to what the coaching staff, my teammates, uh, the owners, uh, and the fans expect of me. And he said, this has eaten me alive. I love to hear that. You know, and he said he felt really good when he threw yesterday. And he said, hey, you know, he said they told me I had to throw the hitters tomorrow. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Matter of fact, I'd like it. Look, he has thrown since August of 2019. He has thrown 48 and a third innings in 11 starts. Think about that. All that money that he signed for, 48 and a third innings and 11 starts. And look, last year, uh, you know, he comes back and things are looking great, and then he ends up breaking the pinky finger on a comebacker, right? Uh, you know, bad luck. Then he has a bike accident, goes ass over tea kettle, you know, and, you know, ends up breaking another bone. You know, and it's like, Jesus, you know, and you can say it's his fault, right? But, you know, you, you still got to live. So, look, he's been very open about it. He says, look, he says, I throw the last pitch of the World Series. I show up next spring training. I sign a contract. He said, what could go wrong, right? And he said, the answer was just about everything. <laughs> he said, so I understand how quickly uh, this can all go away. And nobody wants to pitch well and to earn this more than anything. He said, look, I'm a guy that wants to make 30 starts, that wants to pitch 200 innings. And I still expect that out of myself. I think that's, you know, hell, they're not letting anybody throw 200 innings these days. But that's what he wants to do. Uh, so he says all the right things, which is great. You know, and, and Dan Shaughnessy had a column in the Boston Globe this morning. And I don't want to, I don't know how to play. I don't want to put too much into this. But, you know, Shaughnessy was making a big deal of how skinny Chris Sale is and how he looks even thinner than he has been in the past. And I don't know that that's true. I think I think it may be that, you know, we've seen him for 48 innings since 2019 on the mound. So, you know, uh, after having not seen him much, you probably say, well, wow, he looks really, you know, he doesn't look good. But, you know, I think he's list 6'6", 183 pounds. That's, for a guy 6'6", 183 pounds is not much. So he is skinny. The question is, and Dan Shaughnessy brought this up, is he too skinny? Uh, is the fact that, you know, he has that small frame causing these injuries? And he said, no, I don't think it has anything to do with it. He said, look at my career. You know, he said, I never had a problem till I got here. And then everything started going wrong. 
So he doesn't think that that it has uh, his, his physique has anything to do with it, and I don't know whether it does or not. You know, I remember he he cracked a rib uh, throwing a pitch. Um, is it possible? Yeah, he's 34 years old now. He's not a young man anymore, so it's possible that that maybe the wear and tear on that small frame is making a difference, or it could just be that he has had an, an incredibly uh, bad run of luck. I'm hoping that's the case, as are Red Sox fans. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, we've got, uh, got a couple of minutes left. We're not going to have time to get to all of this, but uh, one of the reasons to watch spring training games this year is going to be to check out these new rule changes. Uh, the bases are bigger. I don't know if you've seen the picture, but they do look bigger. Alex Cora called them in the size of a pizza box. Um, uh, and they do, they are bigger. It's going to look weird, right? Um, but the thing that we're going to have to watch, the pitch clock, uh, the shift rules, um, those are the two big ones. And the pitch clock, not just for the pitchers, you know, and, and I hadn't thought about this, but according to the rule, after each pitch, the batter has to be in the batter's box and paying attention to the, the pitcher and be ready to receive a pitch within eight seconds. So what does that mean? It means we're not going to see guys stepping out, walking around, adjusting every piece of equipment on their body, the batting gloves, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to have to stay in a box. You know, we, how many times – J.D. Martinez, right, after every pitch, you know, Rafi Devers does the same thing, steps out, closes their eyes and, you know, talks to themselves and tries to get themselves geared up for the next pitch and, you know, trying to guess ahead. You know, we're not going to see that anymore. No Mark Garcia Parra would have, could have never gotten away with all the stuff that he did with this new pitch clock. So it's not just on the pitchers. It's going to be on the hitters as well. And by the way, if the batter's not ready, it's a strike. Just like if the pitcher's not ready and doesn't throw a pitch within 20 seconds, it's a ball. I can't wait to see some of the meltdowns in spring training. It's going to be hysterical. Uh, Kenley Jansen was the slowest worker or third slowest worker in Major League Baseball last year. So he's not going to the World Baseball Classic to pitch for the Netherlands this year because he wants to, because the new rules are not going to be in effect in the WBC. So Kenley Jansen understands that because he's so slow and he knows he's so slow, he wants to stay in camp and work on that. He has to work on getting quicker so that he doesn't cost himself during the course of the year. The only way he will go to the WBC is if the Netherlands makes the semifinals, and that game would be in Miami, so he really wouldn't have to go very far. So that's why he is not going to be in the WBC. I think that's a smart move by him. Smart move. Uh, there's a lot of other things to break down about the changes, and we'll try to get to that uh, uh, maybe some tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have Dan Zampano on tomorrow to uh, do the postmortem on the Super Bowl. Uh, but we'll get to some more of these rule changes, and I think it's going to be a very entertaining spring training just because of that. Uh, as I said, I watched uh, the NASCAR qualifying. Uh, Alex Bowman won his third pole all-time at uh, Daytona last night. Uh, he will be uh, in the number one position. Kyle Larson, his teammate on Hendrick Motorsports, uh, finished number two. The NASCAR duels are today. Uh, where they will determine the rest of the starting field, uh, except for those first two. The rest of the field will participate in the two duels, and that's how we'll know who lines up uh, for the rest of the uh, Daytona 500. Jimmy Johnson, 47 years old, making a part-time comeback, uh, qualified 
for the Daytona 500. Good for him. Uh, my wife's favorite driver. I don't know whether he'll – he thinks he has a chance to win. I don't know that I'd put a lot of money on that one. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. How about some Eagles on the way out this morning? How long? We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.